Hey, this is Coach Freddie here, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and welcome to the I Have for Evolution, where we'll be discussing the benefits of growing and using industrial hemp for people, planet, and profit. Conversations about the history, legalization, farming, harvesting, processing, building, manufacturing, investing, and how industrial hemp can benefit people's lives, heal the planet, and how it can be used to make thousands of products and boost the economy and business. So, are you ready to join the iHemp revolution? Hey, this is Coach Freddie with the iHemp Revolution Roadshow. I'm in Columbia, Tennessee, speaking with Ed Harrison with the Tennessee Hemp Industries Association. How you doing, Ed? I'm doing well. Yeah. Well, Thanks for hanging out with me. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I stayed here with your place uh, with you and your wife today, uh, last night. And uh, so tell us what's going on in the Tennessee Hemp Industries Association. It's, it's been a big year for us. I think when we formed um, up in 2015, when legislation allowed hemp to enter into um, into Tennessee as a legal, you know, as a legal operation, we were beset by obstacles that were federally initiated. I.e., the the Drug Enforcement Agency was uh, doing stuff to us like they had done to Kentucky, uh, limiting what we could bring in. So there was a lot of struggle. At the same time, there was a lot of uh, excitement and, and resonance on the part of people that wanted to be involved in this industry. And now fast forward a couple of years, you know, beginning of this year, and, and there was certainly a level of frustration that had developed uh, for a number of reasons. One of them we felt was that um, we were being uh, inordinately constrained by what we could do in the state, and it became all the more frustrating to look over the border to Kentucky to see how aggressively they had embraced the hemp industry and they had to support all the way up to the Senate Majority Leader uh, McConnell and then their other senator, uh, Rand Paul. Um, a lot, a lot of support, and that translated into a lot of investment. So we took a look at well, why are we not getting anywhere? We had tons of farmers who were interested, tons of people who were interested in consumers, but we were missing something in the middle. And we rationalized that, you know, we don't have the appropriate legislation to make this happen. So uh, those of us in the uh, TNHIA set about to influence the political uh, agenda here in the state to bring that about. And so we set up a bill that introduced a number of factors. One of them was... Uh, to be able to um, just buy a hemp. So our, our state uh, attorneys let us know that while it was legal to produce hemp in this in the state, i.e. cultivate it, and it, you had a processing license capability so you could produce it, but there was no provision made for consumers, which I found just utterly preposterous that that you, I, I was selling hemp at a farmer's market last year and I approached the Department of Agriculture and said this is what I want to do and this is why I want to do it this is how I'm going to do it and they were fully supportive and said yeah go out, go forth and and, uh, and sell and then I find out at the end of last year that technically the people who were buying the hemp from me were in not necessarily covered I won't say they're in violation of anything but they weren't covered by any statute that allowed them to possess the hemp and I said this is crazy you know th these people are so happy and we watch my wife and I would watch how the the hemp actually transformed 
their perception of things and their health. There was really a lot of positive aspects that came out, and yet here they were not able to possess it. So uh, in the first couple months of this year, we worked, um, and the head of uh, TNHA, Joe Kirkpatrick, and I spent a lot of time at the Legislative Plaza in Nashville working with various uh, senators and representatives to craft a bill that would be acceptable to all parties and advance the state of the industry. What I was so happily surprised by was the support that we had in the legislative body by guys who had, one, one senator said it like this, he goes, ah, you know, Kentucky, they ran away with bourbon, they ran away with horse racing, I'm not going to have them do it, you know, do it here. So there was that spirit of competitiveness, but also the, the logic that you're looking at these set of federal laws, and here are states that are moving ahead aggressively and, and really building thriving industries, mason industries, uh, with hemp. And yet we were lagging behind, and a lot of it just came down to perception. The people who were in a position to um, administer and help advance the industry were afraid to put that next foot forward because there might be something wrong with how it's interpreted by the DEA. So we investigated the legal history, the uh, how other states were interpreting the, the, the legal decisions over the last 15, 20 years, and this is where the national organization was so helpful because they had uh, engaged the like Hoban uh, and Associates, I'm not sure if I'm saying it, Hoban or Hoban, but yeah. uh, regardless, those guys are invaluable. And so as we started researching this, we said, no, we have a huge platform upon which to stand and, and push forward. So what that allowed us to do is to quickly put in place uh, provisions that made it legal to possess um, hemp, uh, this purchase. But then you start looking at how the farm bill was uh, crafted and worded and saw the degree to which um, the Senate and House members that were part of that uh, process were so much in favor of it so that they essentially countered uh, interpretations that were made by the DEA and then passed on to the FDA and the USDA. And uh, it caused a lot of confusion in the marketplace. I'm sure other states had experienced that as well. So once we were able to communicate with clarity and facts where this industry could be in our state and where it was going in other places and what the legal standing was for making yeah. those calls, they were on board. And so within really a, a short time, by the end of uh, April, I guess, on into early May, we had not only support, but we had unanimous support in a state which at the same time was aggressively... Um, basically rejecting medical marijuana legislation. But when they saw that there was value across the multiple aspects of the industry, uh, that made all the difference. Yeah. And so we sold we sold that aspect of him yeah, to, so, to them. So the Hoban Law Group out of Colorado was instrumental in, in really helping you put that together. Uh, on, a, on a couple of, of fronts. One, just the fact of what they publish. So having been engaged by the national organization, you could go and pull up um, legislative references from them. That part was great. Uh, but in addition to that, we were concerned about um, law enforcement. Local law enforcement was... Uh, starting to convey a message to you know multiple parties multiple levels of the you know state administration and then just parts of commerce and what have you um, that well no the DEA interpretation is the final rule and that we're gonna have to prosecute if you guys don't you know don't comply 
So Holban was very helpful in sharing with us a Senate, I think a Senate and House, basically a congressional appropriations bill from 2016, wherein it explicitly said um, you don't want to spend a dime prosecuting anything having to do with 70, Section 7606 of the Farm Bill, which is the industrial hemp section. So right there, basically, the handcuffs are on the law enforcement guys as far as chasing things down. And, and so we felt very, very strong. And when we conveyed this to the legislature, the, the legislators, they said, yeah, this is totally fine. So we got great sponsorship. Uh, the committees, the whole subcommittee process was very um, positive, if not you know, delayed, but that's politics. Uh, so uh, Jay Reedy was the representative in the House, the House being far more populous and far more volatile, we'll say, as far as the, the membership changes and what attitudes are. But, but Jay carried the ball uh, with, with a farming background and a commitment to plant hemp this year and share what his experiences were with other legislators. And so um, basically everything I could feed to him in terms of background uh, education, he absorbed it like a sponge and was able to convey it effectively to his peers uh, within the House. And that ultimately led to, like I said earlier, a unanimous uh, vote in favor of what we had proposed. So now what we're able to do is to essentially be on a par with uh, Kentucky and, and Colorado in terms of what our access is to various uh, genetic varieties, cultivars, um, as well as bringing uh, in uh, stuff from uh, other states, be they clones, like the wonderful world is word propagules, but being able to have access to something that will be more in tune to the specific uh, end product that you want to produce. Obviously, right now, the, the focus for so many people is on the therapeutic aspects of the plant and coming up with CBD and things like that. But one of the key things that motivated guys in our legislature was the fact that Tennessee is uh, really the preeminent auto manufacturing state right. in the yeah. southeast. So I think the market study that I had done, I would kind of extrapolate it out to almost $3 billion in auto sales uh, produced in the state. We've got three major uh, manufacturers. We've got Chattanooga-based uh, Volkswagen, Spring Hill close to me. We've got General Motors. And then Smyrna is where Nissan is. So you've got three major guys. And that's just full automobiles. The, the, the big secret in the closet is that from a statewide perspective, there's almost $8 billion in auto parts that are produced. Virtually every county in the state of Tennessee has some operation related to the auto industry. Great. Yeah. So hemp, so, you know, we all know about what it can play there. So let me ask you this. How does a farmer get involved? What do they have to do? What do they have to get a permit? How much does it cost? And yeah. what's the process of that? Um, so the the cultivation rules haven't necessarily changed all, all that much it's a couple hundred i think it's 250 and then a dollar per acre that you're going to plant the number of acres that are going in this year is about 750. Um, it's not that much uh, i think there was an overt uh, amount of euphoria when it first started and there were guys planting a lot more than they really know what to do with. The secret in this whole thing is to have appropriate processing capabilities in place. Exactly. And that was one of the things that was just a, a big deficiency that caused so much frustration on the part of the farmers. There, there's, there's farmers that have paid the price. They've learned how to grow it. We've got our own unique set of circumstances for planting hemp in this environment. Tennessee can be you know, crazy hot at times, crazy wet at times, and, and it really takes a lot of patience and understanding for that farmer to make things happen. So to pay that money up front, 
is, is a risk that a lot of them are like, yeah, what am, what am I doing this for, particularly if I don't have a crop? Uh, or, I'm sorry, a, a, a person to sell that crop to. Exactly. So, so that's one of the next emph- uh, points of emphasis for us in the HIA is to be able to start lining up more uh, investment, as has been the case in uh, Kentucky and in Colorado, wherein you can have that processing done in a local manner. So that's exactly. that's really where we're okay. at right now. Good. So this year, how many, uh, you got 700 and some? Yeah, I think it's only 750 acres. It's significantly down from what it was in previous years, but that just reflects um, a couple things. One, you know, the the fact that there isn't somebody to sell it into. Exactly. And and yet, what I like about the the guys who are in the game at this point, the farmers, there's a pragmatism that wasn't necessarily there before. Okay. We know what doesn't work. We know what might be better. So there's a base. It's it's one of those things where you take a breath and yeah, it doesn't look like you're just blasting ahead, but it's one of those uh, gestation periods now where you will have effective farmers who can convey, share, cooperate with. To come up with a with a program that will translate into you know a successful what's industry. The, what's the university that's involved with you guys? Um, well, starting off is uh, Middle Tennessee State University. Um, they have a very active program that is a branch of, as I understand it, the Botanical Medical Research Laboratory, um, and it's a really really neat setup where they cooperate with an outfit in China, um, and the Chinese have a botanical Botanical based university where I think it's umpteen thousand different plant varieties, and they'll send interesting compounds over here to MTSU who apply all sorts of uh, analyses to it to say, is this compound useful, or is there a scientific basis upon which we could recreate it, or to you know actually show what it does to affect human health. So very. you know, very strong program where they're analyzing all kinds of different varieties mm-hmm. of hemp, what they can do, what what can they grow in, and etc. Et can the farmers actually sell their product right now, or does it have to be strictly for research? The, the products are now absolutely legal. So the, the thing I mentioned earlier about um, having consumers being able to possess the stuff, that's now explicit and signed into law by the governor. So that essentially any hemp product that is produced in Tennessee or anywhere else for that matter is now legal to be held. One of the provisions that's here in this state is that there's an explicit uh, mention that anything produced has to have that under 0.3% THC in it. So it's basically a way to keep things honest, and that was something we did for the Board of Health. Um, the Department of Health, rather, they they were just concerned about um, whether people would take a big field of hemp and concentrate it and get high like one time. Yeah, and yeah. to me, no okay. economic sense there. Oh, fantastic! So, any last comments uh, for our listeners here, uh, Ed? Um, just watch the space. I think that there's uh, there is excitement. There is a level of sophistication. Um, I'm personally working um, in an area more geared towards the therapeutic aspects of hemp, and within the next six weeks or so, we should have a product that comes on the market that will be Tennessee produced, and we really believe that we're going to have one of the highest quality um, hemp-based uh, extract uh, products, uh, extract-based products that's out there. So just watch for that. Fantastic. All right, Ed. Thank you very much. You appreciate it. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in today and make sure that you subscribe to the iHemp Revolution podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. 
give us a review and follow us on facebook.com forward slash iHempRevolution. Like us and then tell your friends. Help us spread the word about how using industrial hemp can benefit people, heal the planet, and provide long-term profit. This is your host, Coach Freddie, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and thanks for joining the iHemp Revolution.